I'm Jessica Lesson, the founder of The Information. I'm really happy to be here um, for a panel where we're going to focus on um, AAI in the startup context and the enterprise context and um, talk about how companies of all shapes and sizes and scales are using it, maybe in some obvious ways and maybe in some less obvious ways. So um, to start, um, I'm going to introduce our panelists quickly and then go down the line, have them say a little bit more and um, leave some time for some questions. So please be thinking of those. Um, to my left, we have Amrish Singh, who's the VP of product at Metro Mile. Um, and I'm going to have you guys talk a little bit more about your companies in a sec. Uh, we have Russ Heddleston, the CEO of Docsend, uh, and Genevieve Jervitson, uh, who is the uh, co-founder of Fetcher. So uh, Genevieve, let's start with you. Um, how uh, does AAI um, play a role at Fetcher? Sure. So um, just for those of you who don't know Fetcher, so we combine um, machine learning algorithms with a team of human recruiters and data scientists and researchers to help companies fill open positions at a fraction of the cost of traditional um, recruiting methods. So we've been, so you, you want the little longer version of the No, 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 no. I was saying, so we all know exactly how it, felt. you guys are the poster child for this. But yeah, no, yeah. say more, keep going. So we've been kind of an AI, AAI company from our founding days. So our view was, you know, if a pure AI approach to recruiting was going to be the, the winning solution, LinkedIn would have already done it. They're sitting on all of the data. They have armies of engineers and data scientists. So clearly there's some, some other model that might be uh, you know, the solution to this headache that we all have, which is finding the right people. Um, so our view that was how can we kind of like combine what's special about the agency model or the headhunter model, the human, high human, high touch, very expensive model with the cost savings of um, automation and AI, um, and so we thought that there was a hybrid that was going to make sense from day one, and that's kind of how we built our company. Awesome. And Russ? Um, yep, so Russ Huddleston, co-founder and CEO at Docsend. We're a pretty straightforward SaaS application for tracking and securing documents that people send, and so we don't have like our DNA in AI, but I think it's interesting. I think it's going to apply to more and more companies. We have been using it more lately to approach this problem of doing research on fundraising. So for people who opt in, you know, we have tens of thousands of data points, which you can't really use AI directly to solve, but you can't also use people to solve. And so it's been interesting to find takeaways in that, in that research and that data involving both humans and we built a neural net and they're just really interesting things and we'll start publishing research on that. And then that's also, I think, something that can be baked into our product. And so we're just more getting started this year on AI, but it's been a really fun journey so far. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be big. Amrish. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so my name is Amrish Singh. I lead uh, product and strategy for Metro Mile Enterprise. Uh, Metro Mile is best known as a car insurance company. Um, but we've now recognized that we've built uh, a pretty unique piece of technology in the AI side. And we started licensing our tech last year to other large enterprises. Um, and in terms of using uh, AI, we're the first insurance company that uses AI across the stack. So in the back office, we use it for fraud detection, crash validation, ensuring that the facts of a claim are accurate. But more importantly, on the, on the front end, um, we use it to automate a large number of customer experiences. So we innovated on this idea of same-day payments. So you have an accident, you file a claim, and for a certain percentage of claims, uh, we pay that out instantly. And the, the technology that really drives all of that is, is a series of, uh, of AI models uh, that make it happen. 
And was that your model from the very beginning? Have you added more in terms of AI over time? And if so, how have you, how has your sort of teams and structure evolved? Yeah, the core premise of the company really was that insurance in general is a is a extremely old and, and uh, established industry, but uh, modern advances in technology were not being used, and our founders had a background in, in machine learning, and so they they sought to apply that uh, at every stage of the of the of the value chain. But what we've realized more recently is the biggest value that we can get is in focusing on on how we handle claims and in deploying our technology there. And uh, so much of how a claim is handled is essentially lots of humans making lots of micro and macro decisions, which is a classic example of where you can deploy different kinds of models for different kinds of decision making. And so what point do humans enter into the process? Um, so it's very much human in the loop. Uh, in our case, and I think somebody else mentioned this in the previous panel, the cost of a um, false prediction is really high. And so what we try to do is use AI to make predictions in the cases where our ability to make predictions is accurate and good. Uh, and in the, in the cases that we do make predictions, we only use AI in the cases where we are very confident. In almost all the other cases, we get humans involved. So a classic example would be fraud detection. Uh, the downstream impact of identifying a case as fraud is really high because you're declining a claim for a human being that just had an accident. Uh, and so in our case, when we are really confident that it's not fraud, mm. we just automate it away. In the cases where we even have a little bit of a, a doubt that it is fraud, yeah. rather than denying it, we get humans involved. Genevieve, how does that work um, for you? And have you guys evolved the balance of how you use you know, the machine learning um, plus your team in, in sort of the process? As, uh, how old's the company now, I should say? Yeah, so we think long and hard about where to put the human in the loop and where to take the human out of the loop. Um, as it relates to recruiting, we think a lot about bias and, and sure where feel. that becomes um, problematic. So we like to um, put humans in the loop where they can safeguard against bias, where they can train our algorithms, where they can ensure that the outcomes of our algorithms are actually in line with what our customers are looking for. And then we pull the human out of the loop, and sometimes that human is our customer, uh, where they're most likely to insert their own biases into the process. So we, we often will ask the customer, give us your feedback on the first couple you know, batches of clients or candidates that we're sending you, and then let us take over and automate the whole process so that you're not using your own human bias to hand select each and every candidate. Um, so if we do that, we can ca if we are able to convince the customer to pull themselves out of the loop, we can cast a much wider net and um, build a much more diverse pipeline that we than we would if we allowed them to hand select each one. And as you scale as a business, how do you scale the AAI? Is the AI doing more of the work? Um, are you scaling your sort of people op teams in tandem with that? We hope so. So um, we've had to scale our humans um, probably more than we would like. So as we're, an early, we're a seed stage funded startup and we have 226 employees, so that's a lot of humans. Um, so right now we're actually using tools like Finn to try and optimize our human um, you know, human specialist part of the business. But our dream is to move to a, a world where the algorithms are doing more of the work and the humans are doing less so. Because as you might imagine, um, we're susceptible to like one researcher being better than the next and the customer having a different experience and that's not ideal. Um, but yeah, it's like a shameless plug to Finn, but tools like that help you kind of automate and um, ensure that the human side of your process is as standardized as possible. So. 
Russ, you and Docsend sells into ton of large enterprises. I mean, what do you see in terms of um, their, your clients' sort of attitudes and interest in AAI as they're scaling their businesses? It just varies so much from business to business, kind of depends on what the opportunities are. Uh, I didn't have a background like in enterprise sales and for context, Doxon has about like ten, a little over 10,000 customers. Uh, they kind of range from SMB up through a number of enterprises will use it. Uh, but not having a background in enterprise, I was at first kind of just shocked that these companies are just so poorly run internally. And then I became just very impressed that like, you're doing you're this well with this much disorganization. So I think a lot of the companies that would benefit the most from an AI approach to some of the problem solving are actually in the, the like not a great position to be able to take advantage of it, which is a huge opportunity in in my point like from my point of view. But the you know coming at it from the startup and if you like build it in with your DNA from the ground up, I think then you're better able to take advantage of it. But I do think for just like what you're doing, you're basically bringing AI into every company you work with, you know, so you are their kind of outsourced model for this. And so that's, that's what we've seen is like when we go in and work like with these companies, like in a more hands-on way, we'll identify areas for them. Things like Chorus or Gong, which were mentioned earlier, can be super helpful. And it, it's kind of like tackling it uh, piecemeal, like piece by piece. What would you say, um, just clicking one level deeper, are the barriers that you see when um, to a lack of adoption? Well, especially if we're talking about the enterprise, things move so slowly. For some of the people in leadership, and I'm talking slower because sometimes they talk slower, like the, the 90s weren't that long ago. So, you know, and we're talking about you know, AI, which is a really new concept, and they're still just coming around to like, you mean it's not on-prem, it's, it's, it's SaaS? And so just like this, the speed of innovation is so slow, I think that's part of the barrier to getting in there. Um, and then some companies have a lot more urgency than others uh, where the change can be impactful. And I think something that the AI community as well as like AI is learning is that if you try to sell something that's too broad in a vision like chatbots, you end up getting a lot of disbelief and you have a crash, but it's probably somewhere in the middle. As long as you're specific enough with it, uh, there can be adoption like what you're describing is a wonderful example of like that makes sense. And so I think for enterprises like especially for startups that are looking to work with enterprises, being as specific as possible in their language if possible and knowing that it's going to take a long time are all important things to consider. Yeah, just to add to that, I, I think that's exactly right. Where we've seen, uh, and you know, I've developed a unique perspective on this because we deployed this, uh, a lot of this technology internally and then we started partnering with large enterprises and deploying our tech to, to their businesses. And one of the things that, that works really well is if you can speak, pick a very specific domain and try to solve one specific problem really well. And ultimately, you know, enterprises, larger enterprises are looking at ROI and short-term ROI as much as long-term ROI. Um, and as, we, as you're able to demonstrate that value, they're much faster in adopting it. The other challenge that's come up often, at least in our experiences, is process. So if you think about large enterprises, they're, they're typically older in nature. These processes are established. They're SOPs often, standard operating procedures, and how to you know, make every decision. And if you're deploying AI, which is making these decisions, um, you have to educate them a lot in, in how to adopt that. Um, enterprises are typically very willing to adopt new technologies, but it's a lot about making sure that the, the change management aspect is, is handled. Imagine part of that is the training of the humans, right? I mean, it's not it's like you're just passing over software and letting it run, right? Do you guys get, in, how do you get involved in, in that part of it? And 
Yeah, that was also a huge learning experience for us because internally we spent a lot of our effort in building out the models. When we started licensing it, we recognized that what was important is not just the model, but the software that goes around it. In order to get the most value, they need to constantly interact with the model, train it, make it better, learn from it. Uh, and so our focus has often been, rather than you know, organizing these large training sessions where there are slides and we present that, we build software to automate away the training aspect. And so it's about deploying the model, but in addition to that, also deploy the software that helps with that reinforcement learning, presenting results, getting um, results presented and, and explained to them. Where, for whoever wants it, I mean, where do you get excited about how you could use AAI in the future? Um, either an existing application or as you scale your businesses and get bigger and bigger, you see some potential. One of the things, um, and I keep talking about bias and diversity, but it matters a lot to me, but one of the things I'm most excited about um, as it relates to how automation might change our business is um, if we can pull the human out of the loop like I was talking about earlier, um, I think and automate a lot of these recruiting processes that are um, so mundane and so prone to bias, um, I think we're gonna be able to build workplaces that are just far more diverse than if, than if we were doing it by hand or allowing humans to, to take on that task. So that's what I'm excited about. Oh, one more thing, okay. So we often look to these like proxies for competency in a candidate, like we'll have a customer come to us and say, only give me engineers from top 20 universities who came from these amazing schools. So we're using these like proxies for competency that are really old school um, and, and don't really tell us a lot about a candidate's ability to perform on the job. With AI or with machine learning or whatever we want to call it, we can look for things like career progression. How quickly did someone evolve in their career at different companies and move up over time? That might be a lot more exciting and tell us a lot more about a candidate's ability to be successful at your company. Um, so things like that uh, get me really jazzed. <laughs> yeah, that resonates a lot with me, just the idea that you're looking at the wrong signals. And so if you have a big enough data set and you start to train it, then you can actually like uncover things that are um, not intuitive or kind of go against the grain for like the kind of what people generally believe to be true. So that's very exciting. We kind of have a similar theme for, for Docs and the, some of the stuff I'm excited about. I, you know, the data that we have is around the documents and then uh, who's getting the documents, and then how much time they're looking at them, and who they are. So we, we know all the players, and we have the, the documents, which you'd think it's like, oh, okay, well, what can one do with that? Well, depending on, let's just take like fundraising, for example, it's pretty opaque. Um, like we are able to uh, like actually be like relatively predictive uh, if you were to give us a pitch deck or someone is in the middle of their fundraising cycle to like understand like how likely is it going to happen and who's going to like just what's going to happen. There's to that. a news business in there for you too, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, just just gotta say it. So there's a lot. I mean, you guys could be running quite a news business. I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's some good data. But anyway, yeah, the, no one yeah. heard that me say that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, something that's interesting. I think I was looking at your business. Um, I run the marketing team, and we're always struggling to figure out like what work we're doing is actually leading to sales. And it sounds like your tool, like you can identify pieces of content and how that related to the like removing the mystery of all these business processes that we otherwise think are like mysterious. 
Yeah, that's another great application for our business, especially for the sales and marketing teams we work with. Like, what's, what predicts what? Like, which deals are likely to close? Which content is likely to have an outcome? And you need, you'd actually need people in there to, to take a look at some of the data to, like, come up with a hypothesis and then test it. Uh, and so some of what we're, we're going to be doing uh, starting in Q1 is uh, we've got about 15,000 CEOs that have used Docs for fundraising that have, like, opted into being part of the fundraising. But we're actually just running some research on top of this as a means to, like, try to figure out what models could be the most predictive. Uh, and it is manual, uh, but it also involves, you know, a lot of automation in it. But, I mean, I think a lot of companies have uh, a similar setup to Docsend in that whatever you're touching in the world, like, if there are enough customers or enough data points, you'll probably be able to pull out some unintuitive insights that will, you know, in this case, hopefully make every, uh, workplaces more diverse. Um, yeah, what excites me the most is deploying uh, AI at scale. So, you know, we went through this journey in the last six years of being an upstart to now being the, the biggest paper mile insurance company. Um, and then we took and this... And how many employees do you have, just to give people a sense of um, your size? We're at about 300 and something. I'm not sure the, the exact number. Um, but now we, we took this technology and we deployed it recently at a $9 billion Japanese insurance company in Tokyo. And that was an amazing experience for us because we were able to take this technology that, you know, our scale is nowhere close to that and go to this really big company and at the same time um, demonstrate real tangible business value, both at our scale but also at, at a $9 billion scale. That was incredibly uh, exciting for us and, and self-fulfilling and, um, you know, just uplifting for the, for the team. I'm going to ask a couple more and then please have yours ready. But that actually raises a question, I think, Genevieve, you hit on it too when you were saying, the goal in many ways is to get the human um, out of the loop a little bit more when you scale. So, I mean, is AAI a smaller company thing? Like, do, um, does if, you, if it works, have you essentially sort of, do you graduate from it by necessity at some point? Or how do you think about, about that? Um, so I think this varies a lot by the specific business case that the AI is trying to solve. In my opinion, by definition, AI is AI because when you start, you you have to have humans in the loop to train the the model, make it better. But also, by definition, AI is about evolving constantly as as new kinds of signals are coming in, and no matter how good you are at modeling a particular problem. Um, humans still are way better at, at domain-specific problems than, than AI is, and, and you need humans to provide input constantly. Um, where you do get scale is in, in reducing the number of times you have to ask for help. So as the, as the domain model gets better and better and better, as the AI, as the AI gets better and better, the, the A piece of the AI reduces. But, uh, but we're, we're at least in the domain-specific scenarios, in our domain, we're not at a point where you can completely eliminate the, the human from the loop. What about, do you guys have an opinion on whether, like, does the human stay in the loop indefinitely? Probably not indefinitely. I think we can, it depends on what time frame we're talking about, but I think if we look out, there are very few tasks that can't be uh, done by a machine better in time. Um, I, as I was thinking about your question, the thing that came to my mind is we, um, as we've been building our company, we've worked with everything ranging from like stealth mode startups to the Fortune 50 and everything in between. 
And as you move to the larger and larger companies, there, there tends to be a person, like one person at Intel focused on one type of engineer that they're recruiting for. So you end up, like they have the luxury of having that versus like a, a stealth startup, like they're, they're desperate to hire, they need all the help they can get, and you're not displacing anyone's job because no one's doing that job. Um, so I think it's interesting as we think, as I look at an audience of folks building tools um, to think about, uh, you know, are you displacing a, a job or like how do you fit into that whole puzzle and is it likely that, you know, Intel's going to use our tool to like replace all of their sourcers focused on this particular role? I don't think so. Okay, I want to keep us on schedule, so thank you guys very much and we can continue these conversations at the end. Thanks very much. <laughs>